Hey, hello again. This is Eric Sinrock from Dwayne Morris LLP, uh, joined by my colleague from Cordry, Jonathan Armstrong. I'm in San Francisco. Jonathan's over there in the UK. Jonathan, we're having some of your fog here today, but mm-hmm. I want to let you know that this is our podcast number 133, 133 and going strong. Wow. And this week, I understand, Jonathan, you're having some ruminations about hacking, which, of course, is interesting in and of itself, but hacking as it might affect share prices of companies. What are you thinking about, Jonathan? Yes, I am, and and thank you, Eric, and uh, do enjoy our fog and make sure it doesn't come over this way. Um, Yeah, I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the weekend. Uh, My colleague, uh, Patrick O'Kane, was doing some research recently, and there is at least a theoretical risk, let's put it uh, no higher than that, that a number of corporations are being hacked into for share-sensitive information. So obviously we live in a world where some corporations have fairly volatile stock prices depending on news about them. In the pharmaceutical industry, for example, the fact that a uh, business has got approvals for one of its mega drugs or has lost approval for that drug might make a share price difference of maybe 10%. We've just had this morning the news, um, Tesco, one of our big retailers, the sort of the UK equivalent in a way of Walmart, has had issues with the way in which it managed its supply chain. And that resulted at some stage this morning, I've not looked at the final numbers, at at a 15% share drop. And of course, that information is real money to investors. A lot of, um, there's been a lot of volatility of shares and, and whenever we go into a recession and come out of a recession, then, then trades obviously become more significant. And these days, you don't even have to buy or sell the shares. You can do things like spreads and there's a whole host of financial instruments that effectively bet on markets going up and down. And split seconds can earn you an awful lot of money. And in this case, of course, you can possess information before the market knows in a very discreet way if you've hacked in. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about these dark hotel hacks where somebody is targeting CEOs who are moving into hotel rooms, compromising the Wi-Fi network, and taking information off their laptops. Now, as far as I know, nobody's speculated as to why these attacks might be taking place. And we also had a few years ago something called the San Diego Whaling, if you remember it. This was an attack on prominent uh, in-house general counsel and on CEOs, it seems, to send them something that looked like a subpoena, but when they clicked on it, they installed a keylogger onto their device, their laptop or uh, desktop or whatever, which, uh, which took over their passwords and could eventually take information. So the speculation is, to, is rife as to what type of information is being taken by whom. Obviously, a lot of nation-state governments uh, have come under suspicion for this type of attack, and clearly there are some countries in the world that are at it. But it seems that there are increasingly sophisticated private sector gangs, if you like, some of them with talent out of uh, government agencies, 
that are at least theoretically using this information for private gain to bet on the stock. It's a little bit like betting on the Derby or the Kentucky Derby uh, when you only have to place your bets an hour after the race has been run. These are people who have knowledge of significant things uh, that the company has got up to that aren't public that allow them to trade shares. So it's at least a theoretical risk. My suspicion is it's more than a theoretical risk from the research that my colleague's been doing. Uh, and we have clearly seen employees leak information in the past, which has had a, a share price impact. So in some respects, it's the type of mechanisms that the financial markets have set up to deal with insider trading, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, they exist, and the markets are attuned to insiders' uh, trading shares. But my question is, I guess, A, whether that's enough of a trend to be worried about, and B, should there be a call for the financial markets to monitor these transactions as well and look at hacking as one possible explanation? Yes, very interesting. And for us Yanks, by the way, we call it the Kentucky Derby. So if anybody's yeah. <laughs> thrown off by thrown off by Derby, go by Derby. Uh, very interesting subject, Jonathan. Thank you so much for for sharing it with us. Um, certainly gives new meaning to uh, market timing uh, approaches uh, when it's dealing, you're dealing with stock exchanges. Uh, plainly, here in the United States, um, and I'm sure elsewhere, we have you know very strict regulation. When it comes to you know insider trading, we have the you know the Securities and Exchange Commission that uh, enforces those laws, and there can be all kinds of uh, legal ramifications if there is inappropriate uh, trading of stock shares based on confidential uh, inside information. Um, but what you're raising now is you know we know that a company, for example, you know must not inappropriately uh, the members of a company should not inappropriately benefit in trade using inside information, but does a company also have a duty to make sure that their confidential inside information is not hacked from the outside and then used by others to, uh, to game the system? And it would seem to me, I mean, I don't know if this is a reality yet or not, uh, but it would seem to me that once we get to a point where there's, there's knowledge that this can happen and there are ways to avoid it, if a company does not follow what should be reasonable industry standards at the time, uh, there could be potential liability. You know, I, I think of, uh, of an analogy when once upon a time uh, we were not so accustomed to uh, DDoS attacks, distributed denial of service attacks that can uh, you know, bring down a company's website. Um, once upon a time, you know, a company wouldn't know they would have to, to deal with that. Well, now it's, it's common knowledge that this can happen and there should be security measures put in place to uh, do the best the company can at the time to prevent such attacks. And if it's not done, uh, there could potentially be ramifications. Um, and I think about, Jonathan, you and I have talked about this before, that I've spoken at the DEF CON conference in Las mm. Vegas, which meets, which meets every summer in the broiling heat uh, in Las Vegas. And you have the white hats and the black hats to get together. And the black hats are people who are potentially engaged in hacking activities at the time and the white hats are those working for government and business trying to protect and prevent such attacks. And some of those were former black hats who have now gone over to the white hat side. And what we see is there's sort of a competing advancement in technology and, and uh, 
abilities and practice. And to the extent uh, technology moves forward and enables some to engage in wrongdoing, technology also needs to move forward on the other side to try to deal with it. And that might yeah. be what needs to have happen here, don't you think? I, I think you're dead right. I mean, I think in my mind it's the same, you know, almost holy trinity that we talk about uh, each time. It's it's training people in the risks. Uh, so we've got to make sure that CEOs, CFOs, and heads of legal in particular know of these risks because I think they're the most vulnerable. These are specific attacks directed at individuals. So they ought to know that they're in the uh, class of people who are a target rather than it be you know, a, a generic attack for the wider enterprise. I think it needs policies which need to be clear and understandable, not some you know, wordy 12-page policy that sits in a dark section of the intranet. They need to be documents that are lived and breathed by individuals. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they need changing to update uh, these new vectors of attack. And then, obviously, there's a technology solution as well. It's great if we can stop the bad guys getting into our network, uh, and we need to do that. And we also need to work out when they're in and what they've taken, because we might need to make regulatory uh, declarations very quickly if there's a security breach. And those declarations may include having to make public information very quickly to avoid the prospect of the bad guys gaining through this, uh, this trading. So it seems to me there are at least three steps that every corporation has to go through knowing this risk. Well said, my friend. Okay, well, we've certainly reached our limit. This is our 133rd Tech Law 10 podcast for you. Uh, I'm Eric Sinrod at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You can find us at the regular social media outlets, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Jonathan, you know what to do. Yeah, I'm uh, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. There's a little bit on our website and also on the LinkedIn, the Tech Law 10 LinkedIn page is about this as well. Uh, we're coming to that time of year, I suspect, Eric, where we're going to act like Nostradamus in a few weeks and try and predict, predict what might be ahead in technology law circles for 2015. If anyone's any thoughts on that, then do post them in the uh, in the LinkedIn group or email us or tweet us or whatever, um, because I suppose we'll be turning our minds to that in three or four weeks' time. We uh, do like the interactions with you. Do get in touch about this or any other topic. Meantime, don't have nightmares, and we'll speak to you all again next week. Right, and if you're on the nice list, not the naughty list, we'll continue to put podcasts in your holiday stocking. So. <laughs> That's it for Very good. Uh, podcast yeah, ho, ho. 133. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Cheers. Take care. Bye.